Good morning, Orangewood. Good to see you. Easter's a great day, isn't it? Uh, Joe Creech put it right when he said, Easter changes everything. It changes everything. And you and I, we all ran out of a grave because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Wow. That's awesome. Easter's a day where you're glad you're not working children's ministry. I want you to know. No, no, no. Thank you. God bless the women and men who are working in there today. Easter's a great day, and we're going to be talking, of course, about Easter and the Easter account today. What else are we going to talk about? It is a time where we as Christians sort of have the reminder that this, is, this really is a family reunion, isn't it? We're all here today to come back to the basics, the basics of Christianity, the reality of what unites us. The reality of what ties us together, this is where it all comes together, in the stunning reality that a dead man got up and walked. His name was Jesus. And here uh, at Easter, we remember uh, those of us who are Christians and the convinced already are reconvinced. We have to look at what actually happened. And that those who are not yet convinced could then become perhaps convinced because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Holy Week began last Sunday on Palm Sunday, uh, where Jesus presents himself as the king. You'll remember before that, there were so many times after a healing where he told the people, do not tell them who I am. But now on Palm Sunday, he goes forward. He rides the donkey. He, he enters into Jerusalem, presenting himself as the prince of peace, the king of Israel, presenting himself as the king. Then on Monday, he goes into the temple and he cleanses it. He turns, it, turns the tables upside. And they turn religion into a game, into a money-making scheme. And what, he, what does he do? He goes in and he cleans out the temple. He says, this is supposed to be a place of worship and prayer, not a place of money-making. He cleans it out. And then Tuesday and Wednesday, what is Jesus doing with his disciples? He's teaching. There's so much teaching in the Gospel of John as well as the other Gospels about what Jesus is laying out for his disciples in his absence. He wants them to have this important truth, and so he's teaching them. And then Thursday, the Passover meal. And then from the Passover meal to Gethsemane, and from Gethsemane to the arrest, and then the many trials, the many illegal trials that took place in Jesus' life. And then on Good Friday, uh, the day of crucifixion, death, burial for us. But as the preacher once said, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And they didn't know that then, but we do. Uh, and so today we look at the resurrection on the day when it all came into reality. And so, and so before we read the account and kind of get drawn into it, let's bow our heads and hearts in prayer one more time and ask for God to be with us in a, in a fresh way. Our great God, we pray that this momentous day would, would ring with truth because of your spirit. We pray that you would take the words that were written down so long ago and make them come alive in our hearts and Lord Jesus, that you would be present here in a powerful way, that we would, we would leave this place today having encountered you, having been reminded about how you led us out of our graves into a new life where we could glorify you and enjoy you forever. 
So now as we look into your word, we pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. We pray these things in the strong name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 20, where we read the word of God. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow and And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He's not here, for he is risen. And he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they'd assembled with the elders and taken counsel, They gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. You know, it's good for us as we read this account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to remember that Matthew was an eyewitness who was there when all of this took place. It's important for us to remember that, the, that, that all of this, all of the resurrection accounts were witnessed by multiple people. And the reality is, is that Easter is a time, in a sense, of our uh, coming home and going back to our basics and going over the basics of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because certainly this is where it all begins. And this is what I tried to get away from years ago. Some of you tried to run too. You ran, but you couldn't hide. I remember being in philosophy 101, Long Beach, California City College, sitting in about the fourth row back when our professor of philosophy said, hey, how many of you guys are Christians? And before thinking, I raised my hand. What am I doing? Pulled my hand down. Three or four other people looked at me. We all did the same thing. And then he said, to those of you who raised your hand, I want you to know that in six weeks, I'll prove to you that God does not exist. It's like game on. It was like, all right, I'm in this because, because he threw down the gauntlet and I realized 
as we talked about the theistic proofs for the existence of God, and as he was trying to undermine them one by one, he eventually was going to come to the resurrection because that's really the main thing. I, I think I did more work in that class than ever, any other class I ever took. I wrote more extra papers than I needed to write. Why? Because I wanted to get a good grade? No, because I wanted to prove to my, I wanted to know. Because I'd embrace Christ as Savior and Lord, but I didn't know. I needed to know. I needed to have a, a, the firm confidence beyond a shadow of a doubt that this was not a game. I'd been raised in the church. My mom led me to the Lord when I was eight. But it wasn't until I was a junior in high school that I finally said, we ought to start listening to this stuff. And if the resurrection isn't true, none of it's true. So I, I started reading, started studying, and I, I even read things like in Josephus. Went back to Josephus, the Jewish historian, because I wasn't sure. He wrote about 93, 94 AD. Josephus, the Jewish historian working for the Romans. How about that? Mentions Jesus two times. 60 years after the resurrection, Josephus said this. Now there was about this time Jesus a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at that first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians, so named from him, are not extinct at this day, 60 years after the resurrection. Now, critical scholars are, of course, critical. And they said, Josephus couldn't have written all of that. All of those words couldn't have been written by Josephus. They had to have been some interpolations by other uh, writers, probably pastors, that put him in there. And I would agree, as you study the, the critical material underneath there, that probably there was some addition to that. Some pastor said he was the Christ. But Josephus knew that something big had happened. Something radical had happened. He couldn't deny it. So I read that. I read other things. I read, other, I read Frank Morrison's book, Who Moved the Stone. Many of you have read this too. Written in 1930. It was a lawyer who finally said, all right, I've got some time. I'm going to debunk the resurrection of Christ. So he started studying the historical accounts, started looking at it all in depth. And his first chapter is the book that refused to be written. Because as he looked at the evidence, he, he realized he couldn't debunk it. So he wrote another book, Who Moved the Stone, in which in all of his detail, he, well, he says it happened. And he became convinced, as I did, as you did. And so on Easter, we have to go back as Christians to the basics. And as we read this account, I, I, three words just come out to me of this text. I've studied it before. You've studied it before. But the reality is three major ideas come out to me in this text that I want to unpack for you just in the next few minutes. Clarity is one of them. Cover up is another. And then the whole idea of revolution. But clarity is the first word. Because as you read the resurrection accounts of Christ, not only in Matthew, but in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 1 Corinthians 15, as you read the accounts, the accounts are pretty straightforward, aren't they? It's pretty clear. 
what took place. Since Jesus started his ministry, he lived his life in front of all of these people. Uh, There wasn't a moment, hardly, that he had to himself. And his life was an open book. And this is really an open story. The resurrection is an open story. It starts out on Good Friday, really. Jesus was dead. And this is crucial for us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt what I had to deal with in my philosophy class with my philosophy professor. And even in in speech 101. Remember when you took speech 101? Didn't you hate that? I chose the resurrection of Christ. And after I got done, a couple of guys came and said, that was a nice speech. It's not true, but it was a nice speech. Jesus was dead. He had to have been dead. John 19 tells us that on Golgotha, on the, the, the mount of where the cross was, that Jesus had breathed his last. They broke the legs of the other uh, uh, thieves on either side of Jesus. And then a, a Roman centurion took a sword, he, a spear. He thought he was dead, but to make doubly sure, he poked him in the side. Jesus didn't moan. Jesus didn't move. Why? Because Jesus was dead. And out of his side, John tells us, blood and water came out. Blood and water, an interesting detail. Uh, D.A. Carson says that, well, it could have been uh, uh, that the spear pierced Jesus' heart and the blood from the heart mingled with the fluid from the pericardial sac to produce the flow of blood and water. Others say, no, it couldn't have happened that way. It had to have been that Jesus had so much internal damage done uh, in his uh, scourging and in his beatings and in his carrying of the cross and the following, falling down that, um, well, let me quote, hemorrhagic fluid, up to two liters of it gathered around the pleural lining of the rib cage and the lining of the lung, separating the serum at the top with the red blood at the bottom. And then when the chest cavity was pierced, the blood came out. I don't know. I'm not that kind of a doctor. I don't know. But I do know, I do find it fascinating that Luke doesn't record this. It's Matthew. Luke probably wrote later, and Luke probably said, well, Matthew covered it. Jesus was dead. That's the reality. Jesus was dead, and he was taken down from the cross and put in the tomb. And as you know, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. And when Pilate was asked for the body, he said, he turned to his centurion, and he said, you're kidding. Jesus is dead already? Certain, yeah, he's dead. He's dead already. So they gave the body. Why? Because, well, Jesus was not executed. You know that. Jesus gave up his life. That's so important. He prophesied this in John 10. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up. This charge I received from the Father. So Jesus was dead because he laid down his life. He breathed his last to tell us thy, it is finished. His work was finished. And he was put into the tomb. And then we see Nicodemus, you remember him? He comes back onto the scene again with 75 pounds of strong spices and takes the shroud. And with Joseph of Arimathea, they cover him up and they, they put all of those spice, 75 pounds of spices on him and put him into the tomb and shut it up, cold, dark, airtight. Jesus is dead. I love what Mark says, though. <clears throat> Because in Mark 15, 47, it says, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Don't you love that, ladies? You, you ladies, you get so much 
power here. They saw, they had no power with taking the body down or preparing it for burial, but they saw where he was so that on the first day of the week, they came back. When it was light, they came back to the tomb. And when they got there, they were discussing on the way over, how are we going to move the stone? And the only guys they know that could move the stone for crying out loud were back in the upper room or wherever they were, afraid of the Jews. So they didn't know how it was going to happen, but they, by the time they got there, the stone was rolled away and there was, there'd been an earthquake and there were angels there. I've never seen an angel. Have you seen an angel? I haven't either. You don't want to see angels. They are frightening beings. But the angels spoke to them and answering the question, who moved the stone? What, 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 was it the angels? Was it the earthquake? The answer is yes. The stone was moved and they looked inside and they saw the empty tomb. And the Roman soldiers, I love this, the Roman soldiers who had been put in charge of uh, security at the temple and had been put over this, uh, the grave area, the tomb, what are they doing right now? Absolutely nothing. They're catatonic. These guys who are used to the trauma of warfare have been so traumatized by the angels and the earthquake and the stone being rolled. Like, imagine a stone that big moving by itself. I'd be catatonic too. They saw the empty tomb. John Calvin says the empty tomb is the first sign, first proof of the resurrection. There it is. And the angels say, the angels say, go tell the rest of the disciples. They go. And meet Jesus and fall down at his feet. Because you see, the only logical thing to do when you see the resurrected Lord is to worship. And the resurrection accounts go on and on. The clarity of this is amazing. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about it, but Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus, 1 Corinthians 15, 500 people saw him alive. It goes on and on and on. While you can explain some religions by armies spreading that religion or by philosophy influencing people. Christianity can only be explained by the resurrection. That's how, we, that's how we understand it. Because the disciples were dispirited and discouraged. I love what Jewish talk show host Dennis Prager says. You ever listen to him? He's fun to listen to. He likes us, by the way. Doesn't agree with everything about us, but he's for us. Which is great. I like that. He says, I prefer clarity to agreement. Often says that. So let's be clear. What really happened here? You may not agree uh, on what happened, but the tomb was empty. A dead man got up and walked because his disciples and hundreds and hundreds of people saw it alive. Saw him alive. The clarity of this, this is not an obscure text, nor an obscure occurrence. It happened. And so at Easter, Christians allow the reality of this supernatural effect to sink in. Well, we need to let it sink in, don't we? Let it sink in. Enter back into the awe of this moment. Enter back in to what the disciples went through. We're intended by, by all of the gospel writers giving us this account. We are intended to be drawn in to meditate on it, and to be transformed by it, to see the clarity of it. Uh, 
You know, some of you need to be reminded that when you accepted Christ as Savior, you worked through this just like I worked through it in Philosophy 101. And today you need to be reminded you didn't throw your brain out the window when you became a Christian. Christianity is the thinking person's religion because it's so rooted in history, in fact, in reality. So you didn't throw your brain out the window. There's an enormous clarity here. Let it remind you of the power of God and the love of God. And even if you're going through extremely difficult times, you know, sitting next to you is somebody who is sitting next to a pool of tears. There's difficulty in this room. Uh, There's sorrow. There's frustration. There's a business deal that went bad. There's a person that feels financially ruined. Somebody with financial uh, or, 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 or emotional or physical problems today. This is where we need to remember the power of God. He who is resurrected is resurrecting us. I like that song. Didn't you like that? That was good. Um, if you have gotten a little bit cynical, and some of you are here today and you're, you're not even sure why you're here today. Somebody brought you and you couldn't say no. We're glad you're here. Some of you are really kind of done with Christianity because you're done with Christians. Are you done with Christians? Boy, I felt that. I've been a pastor for 35 years. I know what Christians can be like. We were talking between the service of something that somebody said to one of the guys in the worship team. And I said, doesn't shock you anymore, does it? No, nope, doesn't shock me. You can't shock me. Christians, we're kind of a messed up group. I'm kind of messed up. But I'm deeply loved by the God of the universe, and so are you. And Christianity doesn't stand or fall on how good we are and how we're always right or how we're always wonderful because we're not. There's not a perfect person in this room. Christianity stands and falls. What unites us is Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead. Isn't that good? So in this account, we see clarity. The clarity is Jesus alive. But then there's a second idea that comes out of this text that's powerful, and that's the word cover-up. Okay, it's two words, cover-up. Two words, Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15, because uh, this is what we don't don't focus on that much, but there was an intense cover-up that was intended to be put out here about Jesus because those Roman soldiers who were catatonic came out of it. And when they came out of their catatonic state, what did they think? What was their first thought? Their first thought was, oh no, the body is gone. We're dead man. They said it and thought it in Latin, but that was their first thought. Trust me on this. Because a Roman soldier overseeing and and responsible for a body, if that body was gone, if that prisoner was gone, he forfeited his life. And noticeably, they didn't go running back to their centurion. They went running back to the Jews. And they said, oh no, the tomb is empty. Can you imagine the fear of the Jewish priests and the elders who put him to death? They too said, they said it in Aramaic, oh no. This was not supposed to happen. But it did. And so they wrote up the story. 
It's been a very persuasive story. The disciples stole the body. I don't know about you, but that wasn't even persuasive for me struggling back in college. Really? They stole the body and then did what with it and then followed him saying that he rose from the dead. If the shock of the early disciples was the first response, imagine the terror of these guys who saw that Jesus was gone. I think back to that movie, Braveheart. Some of you have seen it. Some of you guys have seen it. Some of you guys have seen it multiple times. I love that because William Wallace says the nobles of Scotland came after William Wallace and then William Wallace came after them. Remember those scenes? Kind of bloody. But righteous justice, I love it. And I wonder, I just wonder if these Jewish priests and elders and, 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 and all of these Roman soldiers were thinking, is Jesus going to come now? Because we don't have the tomb. We don't have the body. Cover up. Cover up. Easter is a celebration for us. It's a time of great skepticism for everybody else, it seems like. There's still a lot of people that don't, don't look at it, aren't interested in it, won't believe it. And, and so the reality is we Christians are always going to have to understand that as we celebrate the resurrection, there will be skepticism about it. Jesus said, the way is narrow and few are those who find it. But you might be one of those few. You might be one of those few who wants to actually study it more. And we invite you to do that. Read one of the gospels. Talk to me, talk to Joe, talk to one of the staff. We're not for two-headed monsters, I don't think. And we'd love to walk through with you why this has to be true. Clarity, cover-up, revolution. That's where it all comes together here. Verses 16 through 20, these four verses are so powerful The 11 disciples go to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed him. And when they saw him, they worshiped him and they fell down at his feet. But some doubted. I love that. Don't you love the Bible's realism? The Bible is such a real book. Listen, even those people that followed Jesus and were near the apostolic band, when they saw him, they heard him, they touched him and others were worshiping him. Some said, I don't know. I just don't know. Don't raise your hand. How many of you have seen a resurrection? I I would have been, some doubted. I, I get that. And so I love this when it says that Jesus came and said to them, it's, it's, it's a welcoming. He comes to them. He moves close to them. You know, as if touch my hands, touch, and he did that. Look at my side. He already did that. Thomas, an old friend of mine, came to believe. He comes to them and he said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded. I'm with you always even to the end of the age. If shock and terror, 
If shock was the first response of the disciples, if terror was the response of the chief priest and, and, and the soldiers, uh, then when the shock wore off of those guys, those disciples, revolution set in because they were revolutionized. They were not the same. They didn't get it right away, but they got it. They were pretty quick joiners to this thing, and they were transformed and revolutionized. The resurrection, see, what solidifies discipleship is the the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's what energizes us. It's what tells us, even when life is not good, it's real. Jesus is real. Christianity is real. It's all real. It's It's what calls us to a new life. And the resurrection, I love that song. The resurrected king is resurrecting us. Yes, 100%. I don't remember what, which one of my children said it or when they said it, but we were talking about something. I said, really? And they said, 100%, 100%. Really? 100%. 100%. The resurrection made revolutionary. You know what you look like to me? You're all dressed up so nice. I wore a tie today. <laughs> Suit. Guy saw me the other day at a, at a wedding in, in, in a suit and a tie. And he goes, man, I've never seen you in anything other than Levi's. You clean up okay. I can fake the outside pretty good. But the inside, it's got to be real. And the resurrection make us real 100%. Makes us revolutionaries. You know what you look like even though you look so nice? You look like revolutionaries to me because the non-revolutionaries are not here. They're out there. 100% the resurrection gives proof of the deity of Jesus Christ. If you ever wondered before what he was, was he a prophet? Was he a teacher? Was he a nice guy? Uh, Was he a healer? All that, but more. And 100% The resurrection of Christ proves that he is the son of God and savior of sinners, the second member of the Trinity. The disciples got that 100%. The resurrection gave them 100% conviction that they were truly forgiven of their sins. 100%. 1 Corinthians 15 says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. If the resurrection is not true, you guys go home. But it says in Romans 4.25, he who was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. The resurrection is proof that the sacrifice of Christ was accepted in heaven. That the Father accepted perfectly the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. And nothing is left to do to be right with God the Father except through faith in the Son. Because Jesus truly did it. God poured out his anger and his wrath, uh, legitimate wrath, on sin, on Christ. There's none left for you. Some of you think that God is out to get you. You become a Christian, you follow Jesus, and you think he's angry at you. He's not. He doesn't have any anger left for you. It's all put out on Jesus. You say, but I'm going through a difficult time. Yeah, we suffer just like pagans suffer, but we suffer differently. We suffer the same things, but differently. To show the power of Christ in our life. In the first service, a friend was sitting, came in, was sitting about the second row right there. He's, he's just out of a chemo treatment. I said the same thing there. 
He's suffering, but differently and with a different power because of the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection gave 100% proof of the grace of God and a new identity, 100%, 100%. The resurrection proves the grace of God. Grace is getting something you don't deserve when there's every bit of evidence that you deserve the opposite. Like so happened in my kids' lives. I gave them a lot more than they deserve. But the reality is that's what grace is. And the resurrection is proof. The Father accepted that God's grace is given to us in Christ. We have a new identity. We're sons and daughters. We're beloved, redeemed, forgiven sons and daughters of the Most High God. Our identity has been changed forever, 100%. So you are not the clothes you wear, the wallet, how thick it is or how thin it is. The car you drive, the failures in your life, we're not, we're not the successes. See, our identity is determined by paternity. Identity can't be earned. Identity can only be given. The greater the father, the greater the identity. And in Christ, your identity is, your father is God the father. Doesn't get any better than that. 100%. Resurrection proves our new identity in Christ. Kevin DeVries put it this way. He said, if men forget who they are, they do things they wish they could forget. It's true. But when we remember who we are, it changes everything, doesn't it? Everything, every day. The resurrection gave 100% proof of the death of death. This is revolutionary. 100% proof of a new mission in life. We are, as Joe Aldrich once said years ago, we are uh, towel wearers and basin bearers for other people. We're servants as we take the truth to them. Because the resurrection changes us and gives us a mission through our work, our families, our neighborhoods, our churches. It makes us fully alive. It was Irenaeus, an early church pastor, an who, who, who made this point. He said, he said, the glory of God is a person fully alive. And Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. As we wake up every day, we remember the resurrection of Christ and we remember who we are. And we come alive I don't know about you, but I am not a springer. Chuck Swindoll said there's two people in the morning, springers and sleepers. Springers are people awake. Hi, how you doing? Sleepers are those who need coffee to wake up. You know who you are. The glory of God comes into our life in the morning, even if you're not a springer. And reminds us that our life comes from God. I love that. Clarity, cover-up, revolution. Yeah, we're revolutionary. Someone said, age does not make us necessarily wiser. Age makes us older. I don't care what age you are. It is the resurrection that energizes you. And energizes me every day to live a new life because of what Christ has done for me. I, 
I got this uh, message on my iPhone the other day. It popped up and it said, uh, clutter behind the scenes and they've moved it. And I thought, man, that is an apt metaphor for my life at times. How about yours? You got clutter behind the scenes? I got clutter. And I, and I find that it is only the living God of the universe that can clean it up. That can give me hope. That can forgive me and let me feel forgiven. It gives me energy and power for the gospel. The reality is, it is the resurrection of Christ that is our starting point, our, our, our continuing point, and our end point. And because of all that Jesus has done for us, we have the power to get up, to move, to live in the face of a broken world that so desperately needs people who are fully alive. The glory of God is the people fully alive because of the grace, the gospel, and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. You take it to heart, and so will I. Let's pray. Our Father, what a privilege it is to be able to come on this day into your presence to remember the basics, to remember who we are in Christ. And Lord Jesus, we honor you today as we lift you up as the sin bearer, the sin eater, the one who came into this world to be the second Adam for us. We're so grateful we don't have to play games that we can come before the God of the universe because of what you accomplished and be honest and open and not, and not wear a mask. So we thank you for the freedom and the forgiveness that we have because of what you did. And Holy Spirit, we honor you today for how you took the work of Christ and convinced our minds and transformed our hearts and are leading us into a new life. May we never be the same because of what you've done, Lord Jesus. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.